Katie. Good morning, Conduit. So good to see you. Um, of course, uh, Katie spoke of it this morning. I want to echo uh, the deep um, sense of really there is, I mean, there is no words. There's no words to describe just the incredible sense of appreciation, of um, gratitude, of love for uh, the outpouring of support and encouragement and hugs and cards, um, meals, babysitting. I mean, just, you can keep babysitting as long as you want. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be sad for a long time, so um, <laughs> um, but uh, you know we, we talk about um, talk about what a lot of times we talk about what it means to receive the peace of God. Uh, Paul talks in Philippians about the peace of God which passes all understanding, right um, and the idea that we have um, from Paul about that is that the, that the reality of circumstances would indicate that our lives would be without peace, right? Because a common understanding is that you would be in turmoil or that you would be in anxiousness or that you would be somehow um, completely brought low by your circumstances, completely like destroyed by that. Um, but he says that we have from Jesus a peace that passes all understanding. It means it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense according to your circumstances that you would, that your heart and your soul and your mind, your whole countenance would be this way. The only thing that can bring sense to it is that. The peace doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from others around you. It doesn't come from some external circumstance, but it can only be a peace that God has given to you in Jesus Christ. And I can say without of a doubt that the peace that I feel, the peace that we as a family have felt, is a peace that transcends and passes all understanding. But see, here's the thing, is that the way in which God chooses to work is primarily through his people. You know, God, God can and God does work autonomously on his own. You know, like big Red Sea parting types of moments where there's no doubt whatsoever that the Spirit of the Lord is there like performing a tremendous miracle. But 99.9% of the time, God works through his body, the church. That's why we are called his body. That's why Jesus is our head. Because we incarnate in our body, in our lives, the heart and character and nature of God to one another. And so when we receive the peace of God, we are indeed receiving something from him, but it's coming through us. And so the power of community, the power 
of the church. The power of what we call here at Conduit gospel community is that it puts flesh and bones upon the work of God in our lives. Peace. I have received, we have received a gift from God in you. We have received the comfort of God from you. We have received encouragement from God in you. And words will never be enough to describe or articulate our appreciation, our gratitude. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. How do we transition there? Um, okay. Dear Lord, help us this morning. Help us this morning, Lord, to receive something fresh from your word as we start this new series in the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph, Lord. Help us to see that, um, Lord, we can, we can see ourselves in the story of Joseph, both in the good and the bad, Lord. Uh, but, Lord, primarily let us know more about who you are, your nature and your character. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, we have been uh, previewing this here for a few weeks now. Um, in the book of Genesis, there is this guy named Joseph, okay? And uh, we, we pick up his story at the end of the book of Genesis. He closes out the last 13 chapters. If you have a Bible with you, um, I'd encourage you to open up to Genesis chapter 37. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in your seat, or con there's, there's a link to the one on our app, or we should have most of it up, um, up on the screen for you here. Um, so just as a matter of background, Joseph was the son, one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob is also known in the Old Testament as uh, his, God changed his name to Israel. Um, and so Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob, out of which came the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel in the Exodus, and Joseph's story is, I would say it's both like and unlike all of the famous Bible stories that you tell, and if, um, if I say the name Joseph, what is something that you, um, what is something that you may connect with Joseph's story, what is something that he's like, no, like thinking back to Sunday school, Joseph and what? Like, the coat of many colors. Thank you. All right. That's it, right? The coat of many colors. Joseph and the coat of many colors. If there's a story about Joseph, it's about his coat of many colors. And, and is that a great story? Great story. Part of the story. Absolutely. So teeny tiny to the grand thing of who Joseph is and what happens to him. That I don't even know if I'm going to preach on it. But suffice it to say, dude had a coat, had a lot of colors, it didn't really end up too well for him anyway, right? But Joseph's story has all of these elements that are familiar to our lives as well. It has, like, incredible displays of immaturity. Incredible displays of immaturity. Joseph is, like, not going to lie, he's petty. Like, he's super petty, right? He, he's kind of a brat. 
especially in his younger years. Uh, we'll see a little bit of that tonight. There's, there's hatred, family hatred. His brothers did not like him. Joseph's brothers were at enmity with him. There's family dysfunction. There is jail time, right? Be like, oh man, someone's preaching about my family today. It's not, it's not one of these stories, right, where you're like, man, if I could just be like Joseph. If I could just have a life and attitude like Joseph. And in a lot of ways, yeah, the character traits of, that Joseph displayed throughout his life and the way he persevered and the way that he trusted God in the midst of his trial, like, of, yes, of course, but there's also instances to his life that, look, we, we want to learn from, we don't want to emulate, okay? And that's the way um, that it can be. But, you know, if we had to sum up the life and story of Joseph, uh, the writer in Exodus, or in, I'm sorry, in Genesis, does that very same, he does that thing, right? And so, in an, in an effort to kind of let the cat out of the bag right away, I want to say that the story of Joseph is a, Restoration story. And we're going to talk a lot about restoration. Um, because you ever like, I mean, not just a restoration, but a maybe a better word is a repurposing. A, a repurposing. So like the, the infamous pallet wall of conduit, right? That everyone likes to talk with. Um, you know, we didn't, like, go to Home Depot and buy the pallets and buy the pallet wood. You know, like, we got the pallets and actually Lee Mason, you know, spent a good portion of a summer uh, cutting those pallets up so that we could have uh, pallet wood for the wall. We repurposed, right? We repurposed something that wasn't originally meant to be hanging on a wall, but now it is, and it's created something beautiful even though it's not all the same. Even though on its own, if you pulled one piece down and looked at it, it would be cracked and broken and off color and not really good or useful for much more, but take all those things together, allow the Lord to repurpose something that on its own looks like it only can cause destruction and it causes something beautiful. And Joseph's life is all about God repurposing seeing the things that either he tried to screw up or his brothers tried to screw up or Pharaoh tried to screw up or someone tried to screw up and God said, no, I'm going to use that for my own good. I'm going to use that for my plan. I'm going to use that for my purposes. And so the kind of the main theme of Joseph's life we see in the, the very last chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where he tells his brothers at the end of the story, and we'll get, we'll get there, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. That Joseph's story is a story of God repurposing the harm that was meant to destroy Joseph, but that he used, that God used for good. Okay? So. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into the story of Joseph, Genesis chapter 37, and then we're going to 
Um, we're going to read together some of this, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Uh, so Genesis chapter 37, verse 1 uh, and 2. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought them, he brought their father a bad report about them. Your kid, any, anyone's kids ever tattle on the rest of them? All right, here we go. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. All right, pause. <laughs> First 11 verses of the story of Joseph. Opinion of Joseph in the room, all right? Good guy that you want to spend time with or brat? Good guy? Brat? Okay. So he's egging on his brothers, right? He's like, uh, hey guys, just want to let you know, I had a dream. It's all about you serving me. Just thought you should know. Okay, see ya. Right? That's like something that a bratty kid would do, right? I'm going to be more important than you. I um, am taller, have more prestige, have more authority. Oh, and by the way, mom and dad, uh, same for you. Not only did I have one dream, I had two dreams. And um, just want to let you know, you didn't ask, right? God didn't tell me to tell you, but I just wanted to let you know. Because after all, I'm the favorite. Okay? Like there seems to be, there seems to be a little bit of like character deficiency in Joseph, even at a young age, that he wanted to stir the pot of his family just a teeny little bit. Well, let's see naturally where this leads Joseph to in his relationship with his brothers, okay? Because it says in the first 11 verses that they what? They hated him for it. Now his brothers, verse 12, had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, uh, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks. Uh, come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. 
When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are? Uh, they moved on from here, the man answered. They went uh, over there to the land of Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near there. Uh, but, that, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Okay? Um, says a little something about what's going on in the family, right? Here comes that dreamer, they remembered. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, Reuben is the oldest brother, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. And so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water into it. They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him instead. Let's sell him. Instead of leaving him in the cistern, we'll sell him to the Ishmaelites. After all, he is our brother. Right? And so his brothers agreed. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold him for 20 shekels. Not a lot of money, by the way. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. And the Ishmaelites took him down to Egypt. It's an important detail of the story. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where, is, where can I turn now? They got Joseph's robe, robe of many colors, right? They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood. They took it back to their father and said, hey, look, we found this. It's got blood all over it. Examine it. See if it's Joseph's robe. He recognized it and said, yeah, that is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his robes in mourning, in sackcloth, and ashes for his son for many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, no, he said, in mourning I will go down to the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to a man named Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, who was the captain of the guard. Now, so... Joseph had a history of egging his brothers on, poking them, right? Uh, he was the favorite. He knew he was the favorite. His brothers knew he was the favorite. His parents uh, or his brothers didn't like the fact that his father especially favored Joseph. Um, on top of that, Joseph knew he was the favorite, and so he used that to his advantage to 
Aegon, his, um, his siblings, and even his mom and dad, um, telling them about these fanciful dreams that, they, that he would have, right? One of, the main questions that, um, one of the main questions that I ask of this text and of Joseph's uh, attitude here is, why in the world would Joseph need to tell his father about his dreams? Why would he need to say anything at all? And the reality was is he didn't need to. The reason that he did is because he was immature, right? He, he lacked maturity. He was kind of a brat, right? Not the biblical hero that we all imagine when we think of, like, strong, always doing everything right, like, exemplar of character at all times and in every situation. Well, in this case, um, Joseph didn't need to say something. He said it anyway, likely because he knew that it would get a rise out of those in his family. Here's a reality. We talked a little bit about this during the Proverbs series, and it's always a good thing for us to be reminded of is this. It's like, listen, you, we do not need to say out loud everything that comes into your mind, even if it's from God. Everything that comes into your mind doesn't need to immediately travel from your mind out your mouth right away. Now, was what Joseph said of God? Absolutely. It was a dream given to him by God. And how do we know that? Well, we know it because later in the story, we're going to read that the dream that Joseph had, both of them, came to fruition in his relationship with his brothers and with his father later in Egypt. That they did bow down and worship him. Right? But that doesn't mean that in the moment where Joseph had the dream that he needed to say it. Listen, when we speak, everything that we speak must be true. I mean, there's, there is no room on our lips for deceit. There is no room on our lips for, for words that are harmful, right? Words that don't pass the Ephesians 4 test that we talked about during the Proverbs series, right? That, that are not wholesome and true and have the purpose of encouraging and lifting up others in the Lord. Everything that we must, everything that we say, it must be True, But the flip side of that is this, is that everything that is true doesn't need to be said. And there's a big difference between those two. Well, it's true, I just, I speak the truth. Maybe, it may be, it may be the truthiest truth you ever truthed in all of your life, right? But that doesn't mean that it's okay to say even if it is from God. Listen, truth that is spoken in a spirit of immaturity and outside of season, outside of the season in which it's appropriate, can cause relational tension and strife. 
If Joseph would have waited until the moment where his father and brothers were actually bowing down to him, held on to that truth that God had given them. He said, you know what, guys? 30 years ago, I had a dream that God would bring us to this place where you would be bowing down to me and I would be standing tall. Completely different reaction, right? Because there's a season for every bit of truth, right? Truth, truth can be spoken in season and it can be, tro- it can be spoken out of season as well. Doesn't make it any less truthful. Just means that it exists for a time and a place for a reason. And when we speak truth, even in its truth, out of a spirit of immaturity, out of a spirit of harming someone rather than their good, it does nothing but cause relational tension and strife. And so let's continue, right, to examine the words that come from our mouths, no matter how truthful they may be, if the season is correct or not for those that would hear it. Now, um, we already we already kind of, I think, have come to at least, well, I've come to the conclusion, I've foisted it upon you that Joseph was a little bit of a brat. Right, And that's the reason that he maybe needed to speak about his dreams to his brothers, to his family, when no one had ever asked him, hey, Joseph, have any dreams about us serving you ever? Um, right? No one asked him, but he, he said it. Uh, he said it anyway. All right? And what did it cause in Joseph's life? Well, I think to say that it caused relational tension and stress and um, and strife was a little bit of an understatement, right? The, the, I mean, bros sold him, but only after they decided not to kill him, okay? Sold him into slavery, into a foreign land, and convinced their father that he was murdered by a ferocious animal, right? So, so it caused a pretty significant relational <laughs> break and strife in his family. Now, if you know anything of the story of Joseph, and without going too far, we're going to get there in coming weeks, I promise you, right, that the circumstances of Joseph being sold into slavery um, to the Ishmaelites, and then when he traveled to Egypt, there were probably lots and lots and lots of people that he could have been sold to from there, right? But for whatever reason, however the, the, however the chips fell, right, Joseph was sold to a guy named Potiphar to be a, to be a servant or a slave in the household of Potiphar. Now what we're going to read later on is that Potiphar was a very powerful man, in the nation of Egypt. He was in charge of the, the, uh, like the palace or the captain's guard that protected Pharaoh, who was seen in Egypt not just as a king or a ruler, but as God, right? That, that, that Potiphar kind of like was um, Pharaoh's right-hand man. 
his closest confidant, security guard, advisor, whatever. And so now Joseph is sold into Potiphar's house. So he's the servant of the second most powerful man in the nation. All right? If you're going to be sold into slavery, not a bad gig. Now, we might say that, well, geez, it's all a part of God's plan. That God wanted Joseph sold into slavery. God, God really wanted, apparently, Joseph to be a brat because that was kind of the waterfall moment of him being thrown in the cistern, sold into slavery, and God, you know, God must be that God wants brats sometimes. God, God just needs some brats in order to fulfill his purposes. And while we can play some maybe theological or biblical semantics here, uh, what, I, what I want you to understand is that there is a difference between God using circumstances and God orchestrating circumstances. Okay? Um, do not confuse God using something with God orchestrating something. God, God using something. God using a certain set of circumstances. God using or utilizing what happened to Joseph for his own purposes down the road does not mean that God either created the circumstances nor does it mean that God loved the attitude of Joseph that got him thrown in the pit. Nor does it mean that God was to Joseph's brothers, yeah, thank you for selling him into slavery. There was no other way that I was going to be able to get him down to Egypt and in Potiphar's household for this big plan that I have 30 years down the road. You guys did a solid for me. Thanks. Right? There is a big difference between God using something and God orchestrating something. Because here's the reality, that God works equally, if not extensively more often. God works equally through the redemption of circumstances as he does the orchestration of good circumstances. So God is God God almost always uses the redemption of negative circumstances as the laboratory through which the experiment of life is figured out rather than just saying all right I will create the ideal situation for um, for Joseph for his brothers for the nation of Egypt for the nation of Israel I'll just Put the pieces on the puzzle board exactly where I need them and then I'll move them and it doesn't matter what anyone else wants or does or anything like that. I, I don't know about your life, right? I know a lot about your life, some of you, right? Other you, others of you I, I, don't, I don't know much about, right? Um, I know a lot. I'm an expert on my life. Okay. Um, here's my experience, both personally and my experience 
um, witnessing this in the lives of those that I've had privilege to pastor over the last you know, decade and a half or so. That the most significant, the most significant lessons that I have learned about life, the most, um, the most significant seasons of spiritual growth, the most significant seasons of personal growth, maturity, character, all you know, all that's wrapped up in that. The most significant moments of my life have come at the hands of the worst circumstances of my life. That you lear- we learn almost nothing when things are good. We, we grow like this much. We, we, we never wander, we never wander into maturity. We are dragged there kicking and screaming, right, all the time. Our God, our God is not, we can't say that he doesn't orchestrate good circumstances to teach us positive lessons because all of us would have an example of that. We we would all have an example of how something good happened, we learned a lot, we grew from it, like, Wow, we saw the goodness of God in the land of the living, as the Old Testament says. But I bet for every one story you have about something great happening from your life from a positive circumstance, you have five stories about how God changed the direction and trajectory of all that you are and will ever be when he dropped a boulder on your life. When something happened that was like, not expected, not orchestrated, not good. No one would ever say anything good about it in and of itself. But for some reason, God immediately went to work redeeming and restoring and repairing and uncovering and, and revealing the, the, the parts of us that needed to wash away and strip away and flow away so that he could make us into the image and likeness of his son. Perfect and clothed in righteousness and in faith. And what we're going to see in Joseph's life here is not that God orchestrated that he would be a huge brat and that his brothers would want to kill him and sell him into slavery, but that when those circumstances happened in Joseph's life, God went immediately to work to saying, we are not going to waste this. We will not waste it. We will repurpose what has happened to you, Joseph, for good. And this is exactly the circumstance that came that come um, that out came Joseph's statement to his brothers later in life in Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me. God intended it for good. There was different plans. It was repurposed. Um, our last our last point uh, our last point this morning here is this, and I feel like. Um, 
we need to hear this. We need to hear this sometimes about ourselves. All right, um, because when we read scripture and when we're hearing about scripture, um, we can, I think, at least I do, become a little discouraged about where, like, where I am. Like, man, if I just had the faith of, if I just could preach like Paul, if I could just be so, like, if I could just be as, 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 as bold as um, uh, Peter talking to the Sanhedrin, right? Um, if I could just be so, if I could just be such and such in Scripture, like, on top of my game and be really living for Jesus and everything would be, everything would be, and it's easy to get really, it's easy to get discouraged about our, um, about our, our walk with Jesus when we pick up our scripture and we say, well, I mean, everyone here is just a shining example of what it means to follow the Lord and be faithful and like, I just can't do this and I can't live up to this and, and, and we're, we're not trying to, we're not trying to live up to anything, Right? We're not, we're not trying to create any idols, any spiritual idols in our lives. You know, Joseph isn't our idol. Abraham isn't our idol. Moses isn't our idol. Paul isn't our idol. Jesus is our idol, right? Jesus is everything. We say that that's our, our number one core value here, that Jesus is everything, that the only good thing inside of me is Jesus, right? The only thing good in me is Jesus, Right? There's no goodness, there's no character, right? there's no morality, there's no high ethical standard. There's the Holy Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that if you see anything good in me, if you see anything good in us, if you see anything good in the church, it's because you are seeing Jesus in us. And so if we have... If we have standards to reach, if we have examples to say, we want to be like that and we want to emulate that, and we, but we want to exemplify that, you better be making your example Jesus because he's the only one who won't disappoint you. I will disappoint you. He will disappoint you. He will disappoint you. She will disappoint you. He will disappoint you. They will all disappoint you. And when you look at the life of Joseph, you'll be like, bro is disappointing me and everyone around him all of the time. Because just like you and just like me, Joseph has not arrived. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to be like, yeah, I'm working this thing out, man. This following Jesus, this understanding the scripture. Man, you know, you know the people that worry me and scare me the most? Is, is the people that, that know what they believe about everything in there, in here. Like, oh, I believe it completely. Ah, oh, man, like, you know, because there's some things in here that are really like, gosh, Lord, I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief, Lord. Help me with my unbelief. That know every single answer and have a, and have a, uh, like, uh, something to say about every single thing that would happen in your life and my life. Man, I, I'm just not there. And maybe we are all, are, are all just getting there. But, like, I'm coming to this realization even in my own faith that, that God uses continual circumstances 
to promote my spiritual maturity and not the other way around. Maturity doesn't come first. All right? Spiritual maturity comes at the hands of circumstance. Growth comes at the hands of circumstances. And so the, the reality is that we are in a much more spiritually honest place when we can embrace the place that we are in as the place of God's most significant development of us thus far. Now, is this dangerous? Well, yeah, it can, it can, listen, this can lead to spiritual laziness. Okay? Full disclosure, can lead to spiritual laziness. Well, you know, God's, God's not done with me. It's okay for me to be a brat right now. It's okay for me to be a jerk. It's okay for me to say things that I, I know are the truth that's out of season, but it's truth, right? So I can say, we, we talked about this, right? No, it's, just because God's not done with you doesn't mean that you get to be a jerk, right? You don't get to be a jerk just because God's not done with you, right? God's not done with you, okay? So take it easy on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Have a little... Have, have a fraction of the grace that Jesus has with you. Have it with yourself. Understand that God, God is not asking you to be someone, right? Who he has not prepared you, purposed you, and matured you yet to be. But as you seek him regularly as you pursue him passionately that he is creating in you the person that he desires for this next season of your life and seasons like summer can be short and seasons like winter can be Come back next week to hear the snap, right? Like, long. How long was the time frame between when Joseph had the dream and when the, when the dream, like, the reality of the dream actually came true? And how much did Joseph go through in that time frame? We're going we're gonna to read a lot. He had good times. And then it got bad again. Bad again. Then it got good times. And then bad again. And then good times, and then the dream. Like, oh, yeah, I remember I had a dream when I was 12 that this happened. And hey, here we are. God, thank you for the patience of the season to sit on the truth of your promise to me for what is to come. Somebody take a picture of the clock. I'm done 10 minutes early. Okay? Here, here, here's what we'll, like, we're going to be in Joseph for about six weeks, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 37 is where it starts, is where we started today, all the way through.
end of Genesis. So read from chapter 37 through the end of the book. It's, thir it's only 13 chapters. There's lots of stuff in there in your daily reading, in your, um, in your uh, time with the Lord. Read a chapter or two. Read it until you're done reading it. Then reread it and then reread it and then reread it. Let the word of God, uh, let the spirit of God speak the truth of God's word into your heart um, uh, during this season. I'm praying for you, right? I'm praying for us um, that, that we would receive the truth of God's word um, as a church and that we would understand the incredible work of God in repurposing the circumstances of our life that were intended for harm, but that he is turning into good. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for this day, for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, that you're not asking us to be the best version of Joseph right now. You're asking us to be um, the best version of who we are and who you've made us to be in this moment. Lord, we don't want to sit on that um, and just be lazy about allowing your Holy Spirit to sanctify our heart, to sanctify our mind and our lives and our, our words, Lord, our thoughts. Lord, we, we pray and ask that you would, continu that you would continually strip away all from us that is unholy, all that separates us, the sin that so easily entangles us, Lord, that you would set us free from those things as you would want us to be. But Lord, I pray also, Lord, I come against, I come against shame in the name of Jesus. I come against guilt in the name of Jesus. I come against every evil and poisonous and toxic word that the enemy speaks into our heart and into our minds, Lord. Telling us, Lord, that we are not worthy of your love, that we are not, we cannot receive your grace because we haven't arrived there yet, that we're not mature enough yet, that we're not healthy enough yet, that we're just, we, who do you think you are? Father, tell us exactly who we are. Speak, Lord. Speak our names. Lord, tell us the names that you have given to us in heaven. Let us hear louder than every toxic word, louder than every deceitful word from the enemy, Lord. Let us hear your truth spoken into our hearts, that we are loved, that we are redeemed, that we are restored, that we are made new. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Father. We worship you for your goodness. We worship you for your holiness, Lord. We worship you in your glory, Father. Lord, let our worship be 
humble before your holiness, but, but vibrant in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.